Support for this podcast comes from TransPerfect, a family of companies providing language services and technology solutions for global businesses. Connect your brand to the world and visit TransPerfect.com. From TransPerfect and A to Z Productions, this is Next. And I'm Zelina Khan, your host. Hey everyone, we decided to switch things up this season. In the past, our episodes have been based around different industries and businesses, featuring some really intelligent subject matter experts. But this time around, we're gonna focus on people. Specifically, some of the amazing female leaders that we know, that we think should be shared with you all. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Next. On this episode, we have Romy Newman, president and co-founder of Fairy God Boss, a multifaceted platform with the mission to improve the workplace for women everywhere. We talk about the shift of her success in multiple executive roles to starting her own business, helping other women succeed. I love a good story about allyship. Hope you do too. Welcome. We're so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. You and I met when you presented at our Transperfect's internal women's networking group. Yes. I was so fascinated by you because I never heard of Fairy God Boss. And the more you started talking about it, the more you started just getting into your mission, I just sat back and thought like, wow, this, you've really taken allyship to the next level. That's so nice. And actually, I think a really succinct way of articulating what we're trying to do. Well, good. You, you hit that point with me then. Um. <laughs> and I think now more than ever during a time of, you know, civil unrest and things like that, it's so important to hear from women like you and to hear how you've really taken action, Right. You are the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, which is the largest online career community for women, right? Correct. Millions of women get career advice, job reviews, support from other women, and you know work with top employers like Apple, Bank of America, General Motors, Salesforce. I mean, and the list goes on, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's us. What I kind of want to do and what I want to start with is taking it all the way back. Sure. And I know you host the podcast and you're always finding out the stories of others. But as we were planning this, I think it's so important to get your story. Can we, can we start with that? Absolutely. So my story, I'm from New York and I have a mom who was like a career dynamo at a time where I was very aware that there were not a lot of working women, a lot of working mothers. And my mom was a salesperson, is a salesperson, an amazing salesperson. But I was also, even from a very young age, aware of the fact that most of her income depended on commission. So we were all really, as a family, tied into her successes and her, her deals she was working on. She sold insurance and you know whether she was able to, to bring in revenue. So I was deeply, deeply influenced by my mom. And I think I always knew I would go into business. I I also have a grandfather, her father, who was a business school professor and eventually went on to found a few businesses. So business was always a big theme 
in my life. I think I knew that, but I think I was very conventional. And I and so I, I was lucky to, enough to go to Yale undergrad, but I, I wasn't sure what I would study or what I would do. So I, I followed kind of the liberal arts path there and studied American studies. And I came out and looked for a job and was hired at Estee Lauder, uh, which I loved because it combined my love of like pretty fancy things with my love of business. And I had a great experience there. But then I realized that I hadn't studied in school a lot of the things that I needed if I really wanted to excel, if I really wanted to get to the top. From from the time I got to Estee Lauder, I thought, oh, wow, I want to be a senior leader at a company. So I went back to business school, got my MBA at Kellogg, and was fortunate to return to Estee Lauder. I had a few more really amazing years there. And then through a variety of kind of personal and professional decisions, I pivoted into to media, into the newspaper industry. And so I worked for a consulting company that worked for the Chicago Tribune and the Washington Post. Uh, and then I was hired to work at Google and then at the Wall Street Journal. So I ended up finally landing and kind of thriving at the Wall Street Journal. I was there for seven years. I had an extraordinary experience there. It's wonderful people. I really loved it. I had my two kids there. And then following birth of my daughter, that's when I kind of realized I needed to take a different path or I, I would be, it would be easiest or best or most fulfilling for me to take a different path that was not in a corporate experience. And that's when I was fortunate enough to get approached by Georgine and we came to found Very Thoughtboss. You had an amazing career to start out with and many opportunities. Tell us about the transition. You could have stayed working at the Wall Street Journal, but you didn't. Why is that? I think it's to start, kind of I'll tell you the story of how Fairy Godboss came to be founded. Uh, so I was working at the Wall Street Journal. I was the head of digital advertising. My co-founder, Georgine, was a senior executive in the corporate side. And there was a big management shakeup. And as part of it, she was unexpectedly fired. And when that happened, she was two months pregnant. So actually, no one knew that she was pregnant. There was, it was not a discrimination issue. But it still meant that she knew she was basically going to have to go interview for a job. It put her in a situation now, right? Right. She was going to have to go interview for a job wearing maternity clothes. And she just thought, how is that going to even be a conversation, right? And she had had many different experiences in the corporate world. She'd had great experience and she'd had less great experiences. So she wanted to know before she even tried to apply or interview at a company, what do other women think about working there? What has their experience been? And she knew she could find that out if she knew anybody who worked at the company. But for companies where she didn't know anybody, she had no of no information. And she realized there are lots of tools out there like Glassdoor or Indeed or LinkedIn where people talk about their experiences, but none of them said, here's how women are treated. Here's the experience that women have. And she said, I think this is an opportunity. There should be a product like this. And she had the idea for Fairy Godballs. And that's how it started. And she kind of just put the idea to paper and slowly started building an MVP and realized that she wanted a co-founder, um, and in particular, someone who would help focus on monetization. And that's where I come in. I had actually already left the journal when she approached me with this idea. And I have to say, it, deciding to leave the journal was one of the most significant decisions I've, and hardest decisions I've ever made. 
I had never had a job or career that fit me like a glove the way that my job at the journal did. I loved it so much. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the newspaper itself, the product, the content. I loved that I worked with these amazing world-class journalists. But I left because I had two young kids at home and my husband and I were balancing two different demanding careers. I was really trying to do be the very best at home and the very best at work. And I didn't feel like I was doing either of them well enough. And so I said, I just need to step back and until I can figure this out. I remember very vividly, one of the things that was on my mind is I felt like my kids were eating like frozen food way too much. And I wanted to make sure that we were going to be able to get better food. Um, so things like that, that were really on my mind. And then also feeling like I wasn't, I wasn't living up to my own standards at work either. So it's like you're kind of being torn between your two identities, right? Very much, very much. And, and part of it, I mean, I think if I could go back and tell that me a thing or two, I would say, take it easy on yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself and don't ha- you don't have to have such incredibly high standards. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I think when you're in management, which I was, mm-hmm. you do kind of have to have high standards because you're not just sending the standards for yourself, you're setting the standards for everyone who reports to you. Yeah, you're responsible for other people's livelihoods, right? Livelihoods, but also you're a role model. So if I like duck out at noon for the rest of the day, I'm I'm indicating to them that they can too, which I wasn't. But my point is you're kind of setting the tone for the level of effort and energy and output that's expected as a manager. And so I couldn't set the tone in the way that I wanted to. Yeah. Because I couldn't live up to my own expectations for myself. It seems like you love the company, right? So this is more about like the network within the company. Like, did you know other parents that were struggling with the same thing that maybe if you had had their network or their advice that it was, that would have prompted you to stay longer? I think the issue is the dynamic with every family is different. I had a, a role model mentor who was begging me to stay and, and um, doing everything she could to support me. And she was incredible, but what worked for her family couldn't work for mine. My husband was working very long hours. So when our nanny called in sick instantly, it was always that I had to respond or, and because he made more money than I did, it made more sense for him, me to respond. Uh, I think it was the combination of our family dynamic and the job and my own standards, right? Like you're right. It was sort of the first question you asked me. I could have like stuck around and done an average job and it would have been fine. But I didn't feel good about it. It was making me feel uncom- uneasy every day because I knew I wasn't doing the job that I felt I should be. I commend you for your decision because it takes a lot of strength to just know when to walk away from something. It's like a breakup. Like, we got to cut this cord. Right. And I mean, and there was there's more too, which is that I'd been doing it for seven years. It wasn't new and I wasn't growing in the same way. And I couldn't really take on more because of everything I was doing at home to be in a position to grow more. So it was sort of just like stuck in this middle middle space where it's just like not doing a great job, not learning more, not giving more, and not with my kids in the way that I wanted to be or getting the right food on the table. For sure. I thought about it for a year. It took me a year from having the idea that maybe I should resign 
to resign. It took so long. And because it was the hardest decision. And then by the time I resigned, like two weeks later, I realized I was not going to be happy with not working at all. It just wasn't going to, I'm really stimulated by and excited by work and fulfilled by it. I needed to be able to work in a way where I had more control over my schedule so that I could be sure to get my get the right dinner on the table for my kids, or I could be sure to make time to be with them in the evenings or whatever it was. So let's fast forward to now this fairy god boss opportunity arises. So I actually started right away. As soon as I left the journal, I started consulting part-time with a really cool startup called Chartbeat that does web analytics. And it was really energizing and inspirational and exciting. I could see that there was this startup world that was dynamic and I wanted to be part of it. It was at that moment that Georgine approached me. And when she approached me, I was really enthusiastic about her idea. I was really enthusiastic about the mission. And I was really enthusiastic about the idea to try my own thing and kind of like start from from nothing and see how we could do. I'm a big fan of the nothing to something crew. Yeah, it's exciting. So can you walk us through this a little bit more? What inspired you to support that? And what was the relationship that you and Georgine had before? Yeah, so that's a funny story because Georgine and I didn't really know each other that well. We knew each other like across the room. And actually, the she did not find me directly, somebody, a mutual friend said, you should call Romy. At the beginning, we actually worked together kind of more informally before I officially became her co-founder. So we could kind of like test the waters and see how it was going. But what is amazing is that five years later, I think our relationship has never been stronger and we are perfect co-founders for each other in many ways. And a lot of people ask me, people come to me and say, I'm founding a company. How did you know how to find such a great co-founder? How did you, and I'm like, I just got really lucky. I don't think there was any formula to it. I cannot tell you that I did all this robust due diligence or we knew that we, or that we even knew from the start it would work so well, but it just did. And I can only attribute it to luck. Did you just go with a gut feeling? Like, hey, I don't really know you, but I think I'm going to try this out. So I had seen Georgine from afar. I had seen her present across the room and I was always extremely impressed by her. But actually, a funny story is that she told me a story about herself that really, that really was the solidified it for me, which was that basically her, she was on a garden leave between two jobs. And she was living in London and she had n- literally, she could have been like at the Tate Museum every week, which is what I would have done, or just like chilling out and doing nothing. She didn't have to work. She was between jobs. She's basically being paid not to work. And instead of just chilling, she realized that even though in New York, where she had previously lived, there were tons of fresh organic juice places, she realized that the juice trend had not come to London yet. So she decided she was going to try to start a company to see if she could do it and to start a juice company. And so she just rented commercial juicing equipment, rented time in it, you know, brought her fruit and made her juice at night. And then in the morning, she'd go into the city and sell it, try to sell it on the street and and just to see if she could launch a juice company. And I thought, you know what, whoever it is that would want it, I'd like, okay, I will work with you. 
I just thought that was such an amazing story. And what really struck me about it was that I feel like a million times a day, I think to myself, wow, you know what this really needs? You know what company would be really successful here? I have a great idea, but I never, ever, ever have the courage to follow up on my ideas. And she has that courage. So I really, I was like, I want to just kind of latch myself onto your courage and ride with you. (laughs) With that, I'm sure you guys balance each other amazingly, right? Exactly. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of yin and yang between us, but I think that's one of the aspects of it, exactly what you've said. She is more risk tolerant and I'm definitely more risk averse. And also what I'm thinking is sometimes you can really judge someone based off of a story or an experience they had more than any presentation, you know, Hey, you should work with me because this, you trust your partner, maybe a bit more than you trust the business idea. For sure. For sure. Let's get into fairy God boss and what it's about. How did you start unfolding its mission? There's a lot going on on the site. I think it's more than just for a prospective employee. I think it really gives a snapshot into what a company might be about as opposed to a generic glass door where the review might just say, I hated them, they didn't pay me enough, I worked way too many hours. Because I think the thing with reviews is that people tend to be pushed to write them based off of strong emotion. Yes. All right. Yes, exactly what you said. So so we're different in a lot of ways. So kind of starting with our mission, based on that story I told you about how Georgine came to have the idea, our thought is that we can support each other. We can advance women by giving each other transparency, by giving each other access to information that we haven't. And I think one of the things we've observed is that for whatever reason, women are a little bit more reluctant to share information with each other. So certainly anonymity was always going to be a very important component of our site. We knew that women would at least be slightly more willing to kind of volunteer their experiences if we knew it was anonymous. There was that. But then also, because that's our social mission, and because also of the the line of questions that we ask in our reviews, what's interesting is that the vast majority of our reviews are either positive or neutral. And actually, only about 15% of the reviews left on our Fairy God Boss site are negative. We think that's because we've done a survey to kind of ask users, why did you leave a review? And 82% said, it's because I wanted to help other women. So whereas on Glassdoor, I think there's either kind of a, I, I want to share my experience with management, I've had a disappointment or I've had a challenge and I want to communicate it to management, or I or just I want to sort of, sh- I'm kind of like as we do on Yelp or on Amazon, I, I was involved in this, let me review it. And I'm just going to kind of review it to give feedback. I think for our users, they are reviewing it to support other women, to give women information. And so it changes the tone. And then the other thing I say is that the questions that we ask, so the big kind of open-ended question at the end of our review is, what advice would you give to other women who are thinking about working here? Um, So again, it's meant to be helpful. And often the advice, it's not like this place sucks or this place is great. It's here's some, this is the kind of place where to be successful, you should do X, Y, and Z, what I'd recommend is, so it's very specific. It's advice versus glass door. What they ask is what advice would you give to management, right? Like, which is implicitly kind of asking for a critique. That's a very interesting survey. 
Yes. I would be compelled to fill out a fairy god boss survey over a glass door survey now that I think about it like that too. Are women only allowed to fill out reviews or can men fill them out too? No. So we, we encourage male allies to be part of our community, which means participate in the conversations, participate in the discussions. But the idea is that the reviews themselves are left by anyone who identifies as a woman because it is specifically a line of questioning about how women or people who identify as women are treated at the company. So we don't really think that would be relevant or or right for men to kind of Got give it. their opinion. And how do you bring in employers to engage? Yes. So there's a few different ways. The, the top line idea is that we've got this amazing community, very talented women, and we want to help those women find jobs at companies that value gender equality. And so we help the companies tell their story about why women should work there. It's our core philosophy that kind of based on Georgine's experience and other, other data, other research, women behave differently as job seekers than men do. They're collecting different information. They want to understand different things about the job. They respond to different kinds of messaging. And we also know, unfortunately, they are much less uh, assertive in the job application. Knowing that, right, we present packages and modes of communication to help the companies tell their story and attract more female job applicants. Do employers have packages available to them to sponsor things like that? How does that work? The core use case for employers is we create a profile, we create articles, we create videos, sometimes messaging that talk about the experience of the experiences of women employees. Because what we find is that in a very broad way of speaking, with many generalizations, job descriptions are written for men and they appeal to men. Right? This list of the things that you need for the job. We know that women undervalue themselves related to job descriptions all the time. What m women job seekers respond to is the stories, the very specific narratives about here's a woman who worked at TransPerfect. Here's her story. Here's why she loves her job. Here's why it's exciting. Here's how she can do this job and still manage to get dinner on the table for her kids. Telling those stories helps them envision themselves in that role and kind of be able to visualize this idea of, wow, she's having a great experience there. I bet I could too. I like that. You mentioned the job description portion of the whole recruitment process. You said they are written for men and women tend to be hesitant. And that resonates with me so much because thinking back, when I got out of college and going through open jobs, I was definitely hesitant to apply to something because I felt like I didn't fit the criteria 100%. And I think the same thing wouldn't really happen for a man. They're just going to apply, you know, I'm great, I'm great, I'm just going to do it. But I think about how many job opportunities I may have missed out on because I was so hesitant. Right, that's exactly right. And, and because I think it's interesting. So we have a customer who did uh, focus groups, but like the, with, the, with the glass panel, right? And they watched men and women use LinkedIn, sitting side by side. And the men searched for a job, it returned the results, and they just hit, they just went down the line of jobs and hit apply, 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 apply. 
and then, and so I'll come back to that in a sec. So they just hit apply, apply. Look, here's a list of res results. I'm just going to hit apply, 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 apply. The women opened each job description and scrupulously reviewed, I don't know, am I a fit for this? The, this says you need five years of data strategy. I've only had three. I probably shouldn't apply. So what's interesting is the men, they're not even concerned with whether they're qualified. They're like, I'll let the company figure that out. If I apply and I'm not qualified, the worst they're going to do is not respond, right? But the women, for some reason, there's this concern about, well, I don't want to apply if I'm not qualified. That's so true. So how does Fairy God Boss handle and work with the LGBTQ community? I'm interested to learn more about that. As a company that's built on helping drive equality and, and diversity and inclusion, we think that that is paramount and should apply to everyone who is representative of any minority population. So we are extremely supportive of all underrepresented populations, and we want people who don't have a voice or don't don't feel included or don't feel represented to find a way to, to represent it. Because we are founded specifically kind of with this mandate, our main focus is on women who identify or on people who identify as women in whatever way that they do. And within our product, we have sub-communities that kind of speak to different populations. So you know, a lesbian group at Fairy God Boss and various different groups. But overarching, kind of our goal is to be as broad as we can and to support as many people as we can. Nice. It's so important, you know, inclusion. Inclusion is so important. And that's not to say that there are not men, many men who feel underrepresented. It's, it's just not the specific mission of our company. And then with regard to kind of recent events and Black Lives Matter, I've been really personally very excited. I and our company, we're, we're really energized by and excited by the momentum that we're seeing, both kind of within our company, within our employees, and then also within the companies that we work with. It feels like this is a really exciting moment of time where real change can be made. Real voices can really be heard in a different way. In terms of what we're doing specifically, I think what's interesting is that this has helped us think differently about how we execute on our core beliefs. So certainly, as I mentioned, diversity and inclusion of all underrepresented minorities has always been a priority for us. But one thing is that we sort of just said, okay, this is our value. And so, for example, when we publish content, it should represent people who look different. When we write, um, so I mentioned that we write these role model narratives, we should feature role models who come from different racial or different sexual orientation or different, various different backgrounds, right? So we always just said, let's do our best to make sure we're inclusive and representative. But what we never did was audit it, right? So we said, let's make sure we have as many speakers we have who represent different races as possible. But we never said, okay, we had 100 speakers in 2019 this is what percentage of them were from each race. So what we, it's caused us to do is spend a lot more time auditing, identifying, researching, and writing down exactly what we're doing to make sure that we're not just aiming to have representation, but that we are actually having representation and that we're holding ourselves accountable. I, I think you, you know, this company really takes allyship to the next level where, and you've been so proactive about it, right? 
Well, it's very important because our, if we're not doing it, how can we help other companies do it? I, I would assume, you know, things have ramped up for you, right? Because I feel like so many companies, so many leaders are so reactive and don't understand how important this movement is right now. We are, we're, I'll put it this way, we're heartened by the activity we're seeing. It, it's very exciting. And it's been a journey because I will tell you that we launched in 2015. And when we first launched, when we would t- talk to companies, they would say, I don't understand. Why would women need their own career site? And that skepticism, I have to say, pretty much fell away after the 2016 election. But um, it, it's been a sea change going from we would talk to large companies and they would sort of say, well, I don't know what you're trying to do. No one asks us that anymore. Nobody struggles with understanding why a site that is designed to help champion diversity and help companies advance diversity would exist. Um, so that's amazing and that's exciting. Do you find that most of your clients or most of the companies you're working with right now are US-based or... So the majority of the companies are U.S. based, and primarily we have we have something of an international audience, but it was with no effort. It's just that we're thrilled that through word of mouth or through search, women across the globe have found us. It just kind of naturally. So about twenty percent of our audience is ex-U.S., uh, predominantly in the U.K. and India, but that has been through um, organic word of mouth. B two B side of our business right now is mainly oriented at companies in the US. And that's, I mean, you know, I joke that our, our dream, our goal is world domination. But um, when you're a st- small startup, one of the hardest things is focus. And one of the hardest things is to just try to do only a few things. And one of the things that we haven't been able to sort of ratchet up to yet is getting more global. One day, but just we're not there yet. Do you find that with everything going on with civil unrest, Black Lives Matter, do you find that, or do you anticipate Fairy God Boss scaling up? I mean, I certainly hope so. <laughs> you know, it, the reality is, yes, yes, I really hope so. But this has been a really hard year for uh, the, our primary revenue stream is recruiting. And I mean, this has been a hard year. It's been a hard year for everyone. And unfortunately, we actually had to do a round of layoffs in March. and that will go down in my life as one of the, the hardest d- days of my life, one of the hardest things I've ever been through because you build a company and you take people on and you they, they give you your trust and you want to help them have a great experience and to not be able to keep them, it's, you know, and, and through no fault of their own, it's brutal. It's brutal. I really hope that we don't go through that again. Yeah, I think that's that's a really hard part of being a startup well, I think it's it's a hard part of running a startup and maintaining a startup, right? This past year has been really hard on businesses. Yes. What you guys are giving to companies, and you know, obviously that's your big chunk of your revenue, right? And how you stay afloat, but it is our revenue. <laughs> this is such an uncertain time for so many. It's a divisive world. And I think while people are navigating it and trying to just figure out this thing called life, you've really built a site that can bring anybody onto it. And I've been checking out Fairy God Boss for a while, and it's just evolved so nicely. And things have been done so thoughtfully. It's a great site. 
That is so nice. Thank you. And I take none of that credit. That all goes to my co-founder who manages our product and has built the product. Like the community portrays a lot of diversity. There's discussion boards that talk about diversity. Like I even joined, like there was like a brown girls who brunch. Like I'm a brown girl. I love to brunch. You brunch. Awesome. I mean, back in the day, I loved to brunch when, you know, when brunching was a thing. Everything is just done so thoughtfully. You guys were always doing this. So it was good to see it. Are you guys planning on moving or shifting your platform? What's next? More so than anything, especially with, you know, how I think between mental wellness, between yes, diversity, inclusion, for the most part, protests have, have died down, but, or they're just being documented less or in the media less, but with this ball still rolling, how do you see the platform evolving? Yes. I mean, I think what's top of mind for us is the fact that the workplace has changed profoundly. And in this moment of disruption, that's a chance for, to make real change and to accelerate diversity and inclusion work. And so we are really trying to help companies make sure that, for example, if they had to lay off or they had to furlough or they had to go virtual, which almost everybody has, they're building cultures that are indeed diverse in representation and then also inclusive. And so we're really focused on that at the same, from a corporate perspective, at the same time, I think you're right that I have never experienced a time when our community and uh, both kind of our digital community and then our real community has had this kind of anxiety has had this kind of sense of the pain of injustice, has had this sense of feeling overwhelmed. And it's it's been unending. It's been really persistent and difficult. And in particular, helping them kind of guide each other through this time is really important. So we're great, we're we're grateful to have a platform through of a really engaged and supportive members who when when community members voice their anxiety someone's there on the other side to say that sounds really hard i understand how hard that must feel whether you've lost your job and you feel insecure about that whether you're outraged by the injustices we see in the world whether you're feeling overwhelmed because you're homeschooling your children and you're trying to work full time at the same time and so i think we're just going to try to you know the for now it's about how do we support the community and help them live through this tough, tough year. How could a college grad or someone who's on the job market go about finding mentors on your website? I think mentorship, even over a job, just means so much right now. You know, just having companionship, guidance, while trying to navigate the current job market. Yeah, so I think that it's, so we don't have an explicit mentor program. What we have is this amazing community. We also have VIPs and a lot of our VIPs are career coaches. So really what I'd recommend women who are job seeking right now to do is create a post. You can post anonymously and say, here's what I'm looking to do. Here's where I'm getting hung up. And you will be overwhelmed by the responses you get. And what really heartens me is the energy and immediacy with which our community, people, these people are not paid, but they want to jump in and help and provide advice however they can. And so I think we're all kind of trying to support each other and cheer, cheer for each other. So if you say, I, I've been laid off, I need support, I need help, I'm getting stuck. Lots of times the career coaches and everybody in our community says, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Um, so that's what 
I would recommend. And then in terms of applying for a job, what's great is you can use our job tool and you know, because those companies are on our site, that these are companies that have made a commitment to making sure that they have more women working at the company. Gender diversity is a top priority for the companies who are engaged with Fairy Godfalls. You give me hope. <laughs> what is one tip you would give yourself as a professional starting out? I have a great tip, and I learned it from my co-founder. It goes like this. I used to decide what I was and what I could and couldn't do. And I'll give you an example. When we launched, we, were, we realized we needed to do PR. But I thought, oh my gosh, I've never done PR. I have no background in PR. We probably should call somebody who knows PR. But you know what? We just tried it and we figured it out. <laughs> and the same is true for like SEO and dozens of other things. I remember very vividly, my co-founder said, you know, I think we need to write some articles. And I thought, oh, I can't write an article. I didn't go to business. I didn't go to journalism school. How can I write an article? But of course I can. That doesn't mean it's a good article. But and I'm sure somebody who is a journalist would write a much better one. But I, I was deciding all these things that I was not capable of doing without even trying. I think the problem is, as working in a business like this, we get so caught up, right, trying to get things done perfectly as opposed to just getting it done, right? Or just or or defining ourselves or pigeonholing ourselves. Don't you be the one to count yourself out. <laughs> like, don't, don't limit yourself. During COVID and, you know, just what's happened this past year, a lot of women entrepreneurs are emerging as well, right? Is that, is that a trend you guys are noticing at all? Or I would like for it to be, but I'm sorry to tell you, Zelina, I think it's going to be the opposite. I am seeing a lot of women being driven out of the workforce. I don't mean to end on a very somber, sad note. It's the ability of for to have two working parents that I it works because there's childcare in schools. Schools provide childcare, and if that stops for any duration of time, there's going to be a lot of women, pre predominantly women or working parents, who can't, who are not going to be able to dedicate the same amount of time to their career, and it's it's going to be a reckoning. And it, for how long this goes on, I don't know. But a friend of mine for example, lives in Los Angeles and she has a full-time job and she's just been notified that her kids are not going back to school, period. And that's her primary form of childcare. So what is she supposed to do? I mean, it's online, but that doesn't help her with childcare. Do you find that more employers, because women are being forced to stay home, not forced, but have to. Yeah, well, forced to manage childcare. Yes, right. So do you find more companies are adjusting or? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, everybody's work, most people are working virtually, right? But that doesn't help because I can tell you that it is impossible to work eight hours a day and manage children for the exact same hours, eight hours. Like you just can't do those two things at once. And then a big part is the teaching too, right? Like it's hard for me to sit down in one place and just work from home. So if I'm struggling, I can imagine how kids are doing, especially losing out on so many things like playtime, lunchtime activities, etc. But I guess we'll see how companies adjust. So if our listeners want to check out Fairy God Boss and learn the latest and greatest on companies and how they're navigating the ever-changing world and build partnerships and networking and all that good stuff, how do they sign up? Yeah, please register on Fairy God Boss and connect with me there. We have connections and you can message me on Fairy God Boss. I'm also in all the other places like LinkedIn and Twitter. So happy to connect with you there as well. Great. Thank you so much, Romy. Thank you, Selena. 
Support matters now more than it ever did as women in the workforce are faced with increasingly difficult responsibilities and pressures of the world. We're grateful to Romy for her insight here on the podcast and her work to provide a platform for all women. Until next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to each other. If you made it to the end of this episode, thank you. Make sure you hit the like button before you close us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to listen to the latest episodes of Next. And if you have a question, comment, or suggestion, or you just want to tell us how much you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at nextpodcast at transperfect.com or visit us at nextpodcast.transperfect.com.